Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Money Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. Our show covers financial news and information and topics that matter to our listeners. Money Talk Radio airs live Thursdays afternoons with variable show times, and if you click on our Money Talk Radio Facebook page, you will see feeds for our different shows, and you can find our guest information, links to their website, and more information at Money Talk Radio Facebook page. Again, you can just search under the Facebook search bar for Money Talk Radio. Today's show, we have Dan Keegan and Chicago School of Trading's Options Update, uh, Chicago-based options trading instructor and renowned expert Dan Keegan is our guest to offer updates on financial markets. Dan is the options instructor and head options mentor at the Chicago School of Trading. Dan started out in the options business back in 1978 and worked as a runner, uh, worked his way up in the Chicago tradition, spending five years as a runner, phone clerk, and a floor broker for A.G. Becker on the floor of the Chicago Board Options Exchange. And then in 1984, Dan, with backing of legendary trader and adventurer Steve Fawcett, began a more than 20-year career as independent market maker on the floor of uh, CBOE. Uh, Dan earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Economics from Marquette University College of Business Administration. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, website for Chicago School of Trading is thechicagoschooloftrading.com. We want to welcome callers this afternoon. If you have any questions, you can uh, give us a ring at 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is 917-889-9732. This is a general information program, and the advice shared on our show does not constitute professional advice. Communications with financial professionals on our show does not give rise to uh, professional and client relationships. ProServe PR does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests, and finally, callers are confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Uh, we do want to let you know about upcoming events during our shows. We pause for breaks uh, every 15 minutes and let you know about upcoming events. And if you have an upcoming event that you would like to promote, please let us know. Uh, beginning in January of 2012, we're selling episode sponsorships. You can take advantage of these opportunities uh, also to support our programming. And uh, there's spots available on our resource page that we are uh, building as well. So uh, ProServe Public Relations is a full-service business development PR firm. We're focused on law, finance, and small business success. We offer consulting service and content development, event management, and media relations. For more information, visit our website, www.proservepr.com, which is P-R-O-S-E-R-V-E-P-R.com. Now, for today's show, we're going to be talking to our friend Dan. Again, he uh, was on our, our program uh, back in October, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Chicago School of uh, Trading. And then we're going to update and talk about the markets. We'll talk about – I'm going to ask Dan uh, in four segments. So first of all, premium level has been declining in the markets, and what does that mean for traders? So we'll talk about that a bit. Um, I'll ask Dan uh, how does it make it easy for people to backspread. Uh, we'll talk about what are some 2012 outlooks for options and – and I'll ask Dan uh, towards the end of the show a little bit about what he is telling his students at the School of uh, Options, uh, what to do based on these predictions. So uh, as we discussed today, um, we'll remember that we have audience members out there who may be uh, veteran traders and those who are just uh, getting into the industry. So uh, I welcome our guest, uh, Dan Keegan. Thanks a lot, Nick. Happy to be here today. Uh been a pretty wild uh, last half of the year for the market, and it's kind of Closing up that way, although today was kind of a kind of a boring day compared to what we've been experiencing recently. Yeah, well, Dan, I watched. Um, I was watching something on the news last night and uh, looking at the, just the charts uh, from 2008. We have really climbed back up there, and it has been a very uh, you know interesting time. We had a lot more volatility earlier, um, in, in around the third quarter, um, and just looking at things recently, it's been sort of all over the place. So um, you know, so it's interesting. I, I try to watch. I try to limit my cable news intake, um, but I hear I hear different people with different. Uh, uh, thoughts on on economics generally, and a lot of people are uh, suggesting that we're going to have a a bright and sunny 2012. So I I hope that's true. So um, uh, before we uh, get too far into material, can you uh, refresh us, uh, and especially for those who haven't uh, listened to the show before, uh, what exactly it is you do at um, the Chicago School of Trading, and uh, how you got there? Uh, well. It- Actually, I have like 30 years of experience of trading options, still trade them. But uh, about three and a half years ago, we started the Chicago School of Trading.com, which is based in Chicago, but it's uh, our students are all over the globe. Wherever there's a uh, go-to-meeting tower, we can uh, 
we can work with them because everything is one-on-one. It's all uh, online-based. Every session we have with them is recorded, saved for them, so they can go back and listen to it until the next session. And uh, we have all their work, all their exercises online, and uh, in as well as their um, the text and the videos that we supply for them as well. So it's it's a step-by-step process where, since it's one-on-one, if it's somebody who doesn't know what a difference between a put and a call is, that's where we start with, or if it's somebody that has two or three years of experience but they're just not quite having the success that they want to, we can start at their level and step them up. So it's the fact that it's one-on-one, uh, one-on-one versus two-on-one is about four times as effective as one-on-one is about four times as effective as two-on-one. So you would think it would be twice as effective, but actually it's four times as effective because uh, when you're working with one person back and forth, you can really get in tune and uh, step them up much more quickly. So, Such a good idea for someone who's looking to get into the industry. And the things that I learned um, from our last show that impressed me is that, again, you have people from all levels of knowledge and expertise. So, um, assuming again that some people out there may be listening or just getting into things, um, we'll try to define uh, what we're talking about and then uh, jump into this because so many people do find um, the financial markets in uh, these worlds so very interesting. And I had comments from someone who listened to one of the uh, earlier shows that they have nothing to do with finance, but they wanted to learn. And uh, we're Googling things and looking things up as we were talking. So um, it's, there's a lot of people out there thirsty for knowledge. And uh, so I, I really appreciate your time. Time, Dan, in uh, sharing uh, these updates. So, um, jumping right in, uh, premium level has been declining in the markets, uh, as I mentioned earlier. What does that mean, and what does it mean for traders? Um, well, the premium level is is the time value that's embedded in the option premium, uh, which is the the part of the option premium that is out of the money. In other words. Uh, for for instance, a January um, 180 IBM call with IBM finished at about 182, and the calls closed at about five dollars and seventy cents. That means if there was the end of expiration right now, the ability to buy the stock at 180 dollars since it's at 182, you'd only pay two dollars for that at expiration because uh, it just wouldn't be worth anything more than that. You could go out in the open market. And do better otherwise. So, so that'd be two dollars, and so that means there's three dollars and seventy cents of time value embedded in that premium. Now, earlier in the earlier in the year, that was much higher because of because the implied volatility, which records the time value that's embedded in the option premium. So, in other words, if you're interested in trading options and you're looking to buy them. It's going to be much less costly now than it was just a couple of weeks ago, and the indicator that you probably hear all the time is the VIX, and that's based on the SPX options, how much time value is embedded in the SPX options premium, and since there's 500 different stocks involved in that, that uh, pretty much covers a broad range of the marketplace. So that's. Uh, so that that's kind of what uh what I mean by the premium levels have dropped. In other words, it's uh what another way to look at it is let's say if you're buying a stock and you're long that stock at 100 and you want to buy some insurance in case it goes to zero. So you buy a 95 put, which gives you the right to sell the stock at 95. Uh, a couple months ago that premium might have cost you three and a half dollars now it only cost you two dollars so think of it in that sense so now in in terms of either protecting your portfolio or in terms of backspreading which you can get into whenever you feel like it it's cheaper cheaper point of entry so now what thing okay so let's talk a little bit more about the vix and the things that um directly what when you're watching if someone is new to watching uh the vix as an index what uh, how should they look at this um how should they look at it what's a good way to conceptualize what if um, and what affects it what makes it up and down why why is it a better time now than it was a couple of weeks ago what are the uh, variables that are affecting things Okay, well, first of all, the VIX is a negative correlation to the uh, Standard and Poor's. Over 80% of the time, it's a negative correlation. And if it's a, in terms of, in other words, 
if the overall market is up, the VIX is down. If the overall market is down, the VIX is up. Um, and even though it's like about 82% negative correlation, it's actually even higher than that because the other another 15% would be where it's you know minimally one. It might be up a little bit, and the VIX is up a little bit for the same day. But uh, this this previous Monday and Tuesday, it was down. The market was down substantially, and the VIX was down substantially. And the next day, the market was down again, and the VIX was down a little bit. So that basically was saying that. Option traders is not like you know twenty of them get in a room and decide how to price things, but everybody around the world who trades options, they kind of cast their ballot one way or another, and they were kind of casting their ballot and saying, "We're not going to pay up for this option premium anymore." So there was no demand for the options. As a, as a result, the price level dropped. So um, and that's uh, so whenever you see a situation like that where it's where the market where the market is dropping and the VIX is dropping, or the market is rising and the VIX is rising, keep your eye on that because it's extremely rare and it sometimes can be a good uh, predictor of things to come. For instance, the time when the VIX, uh, last time the VIX was up with the market up was right before uh, I think it was May of 2010, right before the Greek crisis. So, had you loaded up on premium then, you would have struck gold and just on this as well, when you saw the uh, premium declining with the, with the um, overall market declining, if you got all, out of your premium, even got shorted, you would have uh, done quite well because it's now down to uh, even lower than that now. It's probably about uh, 20% lower than it was the Monday, last Monday, and that was a substantial drop. So, but uh, yes, it's it's the VIX is known as the fear gauge, and basically because what I said, um, the negative correlation, as the market goes down, the VIX goes up. And the reason why that happens is the largest and most violent moves in the stock market are to the downside. So, um, And if you have options, you can use their leverage to maneuver around these big moves versus just being long or short stock. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what you mean by that, that you can um – you can use them to leverage. Yes. Uh, in other words, let's say um, in the SPY, the spiders, which is the one tenth of the Standard & Poor's index. Uh, if you were to buy um, a February 125 call at uh, four dollars and forty cents for one option, that'd be four hundred and forty dollars. If that makes a move. Um, up to up to 135 that would be that call would then become at expiration worth $10 so you'd more than double your money if you were in so for a $440 investment it would go to $1000 you'd more than double your money if you went to buy the spider exchange traded fund itself you'd have to pay about 12500 for 100 shares and if it made that 10 point move up It'd be you'd make thousand dollars, but it would be with a twelve thousand five hundred dollar investment. So the rate of return is nowhere near as good. So you you have to pay that premium, which if it just sits in one area, that premium vanishes. But uh, there's other ways around that too by spreading off one option against another. I wouldn't ever recommend anybody just buying a call or buying a put or just selling a put or selling a call naked, because the odds would not be in your favor. But if you know how to uh, spread one off against another, then your um, odds increase exponentially. So, but does that give you an idea of what I mean by leverage? Yeah, uh, I think that that helps, especially for some of our uh, listeners out there who are um, considering considering getting into trading. And um, this is kind of a, a nice part for me to kind of pause and um, ask you to clarify again. The people that you deal with at the school are are trading uh, who are they trading for i mean is everyone just trading for themselves as individuals or some professional uh traders at firms what's a general makeup of um the people that you see well it's kind of all of the above it's um we do get some kids in there who are we train them and then they go off to trade for proprietary trading firms and probably about 80 percent of our business though is the people that uh have full-time jobs 
or I'd say 70% have full-time jobs. Another 10%, I'd say, are retirees, and they're starting to do this full-time. And then another, uh, the other 70%, they still have their jobs. But uh, I, earlier you said somebody doesn't want to have anything to do with finance, or they don't haven't done anything to do with finance, but they are now. Well, whether you want to or not, you have something to do with finance, right? Because everybody has savings accounts or investing in mutual funds, whatever. If you do that, if you have any kind of money at all, you're involved in finance. So it's a matter of how much you want to make it grow. So we have a lot of a lot of those people that a are coming in because they want to know how to hedge their portfolio. Because if you look at the uh, Standard and Poor's over the last 13 years, it's a flat line. So. They've kind of come to the, instead of cursing the volatility, they're figuring, how do we harvest profits from this volatility? So, and you can A, protect what you have, or B, create something new that will be profitable. And, and like I said, you can harvest the profit, harvest the volatility. So, it, it's, so it's, yeah, so it runs the gamut, I guess. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> it's a broad, um, you know, knowledge is power is what I always say. And even if you don't, even if you don't make your career's uh, money doing financial work, it's good to know what's going on. And it's good, to, exactly. I think that having having an understanding of what's happening and not being afraid of the VIX, for example, um, gives people a better sense of, uh, you know, when not to freak out and uh, dump out of all their investments and when to, uh, you know, jump into different things. But I, really, I think, especially, I, I would think that people who have other people uh, working for them and investing and managing their funds for them, um, just being able to have those conversations with their professionals seems to be such an advantage. Oh, it's huge, yeah. Whether you're managing your own money by yourself or you have money managers, you want to ask them, okay, we're in. The, this is our portfolio. What happens if there's another black swan event where the whole market's off 40%? Because is, is, when that happens, it doesn't matter how diversified your portfolio is. It's all sinking. So you want to make sure whoever you're uh, – financial consultant is they have some, something set into place where there's going to be some circuit breakers that will take over and stop the bleeding. So, mm-hmm. so it, go ahead. As well as other things where, you know, you could maybe sell calls against some of your portfolio um, based upon the historical volatility of the stocks you might be long. So unlikely to get your stock all the way, but be able to capitalize on it and by selling some of this premium, it'll go out worthless, and it'll just add to the return in your portfolio. So, so much to know, but uh, baby steps to uh, to knowledge is what I say. So, in one in one quick sentence, could we wrap up again a recap of uh, my question? Was premium levels uh, the premium level has been declining in the markets, and what does that mean for traders? In one simple answer. Um, one simple answer is that could you can. Um, Acquire a position that would allow you to make money in either direction less expensively than you could have beforehand. All right. All right. Well, we're going to pause. It's as simple as I could make it. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it's. We always like to. I'll say this: when I was in law school many years ago, I remember learning different things and stepping away and seeing the mosaic um, makes it all make sense. And I'll tell you what: there are times now that I've looked at Wikipedia and things and uh, like contract remedies all of a sudden make sense to me that didn't make sense before. So it's good to ask things different ways, and that's why I really like doing these shows with you because it's a really nice learning experience, and I think it's encouraging um, for people out there who get a little bit uh, or feel um you know a little bit afraid of all the vocabulary and just learning um it's kind of like learning a whole new language and once you start to figure things out you can step away and um see how you can leverage different things it makes it makes sense it just takes a while to get there for a lot of folks so um we're going to pause for our first uh, event break i'm going to tell you about a webinar series uh that jim thompson and i are working on and then i'm going to ask dan keegan to talk a little bit about what uh how does it make it easier for people to backspread and what we're talking about with backspreading there so um, but first, uh, I want to tell you about this webinar series that's uh, coming up Wednesdays, third Wednesdays uh, every month.
month for uh, seven to nine. So it's a two-hour uh, training seminar. Uh, Jim Thompson is a colleague of mine, and he and I kicked off this uh, program with a launch presentation at the John Marshall Law School before the Young Alumni Council. And what we are doing is uh, teaching uh, young attorneys and uh, people who are at big firms and then going launching their own sole practices how to get uh, more clients and how to uh, really how to promote your firm and how to uh, get some media presence and get yourself on the map. So um, it's what Jim and I are doing is the webinar series is, again, Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 Central. And uh, there's two hours of presentation. Uh, continuing legal education credits are applied for for some of the different topics. And what we do is find some uh, interesting guest speakers from around the country to uh, jump in and share their uh, tips of the trade as well. So, again, for those attorneys out there who want to learn how to do things themselves, themselves, um, certainly within the world of public relations, marketing, and uh, business development. Uh, I know that if uh, some people who out there who just, whether you're coming right out of law school or you were at a firm for 20 years and are uh, now uh, hanging your shingle out there for the first time and need to uh, find out how to uh, get more clients and grow your practice, that is uh, what we're doing. So you can find more information on our website, proservepr.com. Under our PR training uh, tab, you can find some information there uh, with links to email, and you can um, get in touch with us and we can sign you up for this course. So, again, uh, it is going to be from Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays, every third Wednesday of the month from 7 to 9 p.m. Central, um, brought to you again by ProServe Public Relations and Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group. Now back to our show with Dan Keegan. Again, we're uh, talking about uh, updates and uh, things going on in financial markets, more specifically in the world of uh, options trading. And again, um, Dan comes from the Chicago School of uh, of Trading. And uh, Dan, you're a founding uh, partner in the school. That's right. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bill Grzynski, um from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and P.J. McCarthy from the Chicago Board of Trade are my other uh, partners in the venture, and they're all uh, veteran traders. So. Such a such a good thing. Um, you know, I wonder, it just pops uh, top of my head, um, the, with the CME Sears uh, deal, is that, something, um, is that something that's being talked about heavily? Is that something that was very expected? Um, you know, I know a lot of people were had different uh, thoughts and feelings about the tax break, but uh, I'm very glad to have that deal go through personally. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, they basically have a lot more leverage than they would have beforehand. I mean, because mostly the trading floors have pretty much gone electronic for the most part. So it's pretty easy to threaten Illinois, I guess, and say, you know, we'll, uh, CBOE will move to Secaucus, New Jersey, and the CME will move to wherever. And, uh, you know, you just move the operations there. But it's, 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 I think it's great that it hasn't happened because trading in derivatives trading, the birthplace of Chicago, you know, with futures contracts dating back, I don't know how long, for the Board of Trade and the Merck. I think the Merck was the butter and egg, egg exchanger originally. but uh, And then options, CBOE was the original exchange back in 1973. So it would be kind of, uh, although everything is kind of electronic now, everything is kind of online, it still is, I'm happy that they're both still here in Chicago. Yeah, I was talking to uh, one of my friends who is a veteran trader, and he said that the word on the street, um, you know, around the floor, you know, generally, people still want to know uh, what's going on. And even though there are so many, uh, you know, technology has allowed so much of this to happen. I mean, people could do it from, you know, from home, I suppose, you know, or anywhere. Um, but I, I really think it's having that camaraderie and being able to, uh, you know, interface, for lack of a better word, with other folks um, and what they're experiencing and feeling and thinking. And I just think it was very uh, interesting when, um, you know, the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement, there were people, protesters, set up right outside uh, you know, some of the buildings. And um, there's just such a misconception um, of you know what you know traders not 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 everyone who is a day trader is uh, you know a top one percent person who is living high off the high off the hog so to speak uh, you know these are a lot of working uh, individuals who who we know um, out there in the community too so uh, I think that knowledge about what goes on at CBO at CNCME are, is so important for our, our audience and our people in our communities. Mm-hmm. And the other way to look at it, too, with the Wall Street protests is uh, the trading that goes on, it's kind of like protesting weathermen for 
what happens with the weather, you know, because that's essentially what trading is. You're just responding to what is going on. You're not creating what is going on. So exactly, exactly. So um, again, knowledge, <laughs> knowledge is power, and uh, that's why we do these shows, and that's why we try to uh, write and publish as much as we can about different things, so that people know. Uh, what's going on? So, in uh, in the spirit of knowledge and uh, knowing what's happening, let's talk about backspreading. Okay, backspreading is when you, in other words, if you, the simplest form of a backspread would be a long straddle, which is you buy a call and buy a put at the same strike price, the at the money strike price. Um, front spreading would be the opposite; you'd be shorting a call and a put at the same strike price that you sell the straddle. So. Uh, for today, you could buy the Feb 125 put for $4.05 and the Feb 125 call for $4.40 for a total of $8.45, for about eight and a half bucks approximately. Okay, and um, the amount of time until February expiration is 57 days. Okay, so. If, you, if you're not really taking a position on which way the market's going, in other words, if it was to go down 10 points to 115, you you put out $8.45 or $845, and it would go to $1,000, okay, if it made a 10-point move. Um, so, you, so you would actually make money on that if, it's been, if it went down to 115. If it went up to one. 35 the same thing. So you're not taking so you're not taking a position in market direction, you're just taking a, you're hoping for some volatility. Now that's 57 days for something like that to happen. Um in the last 30 days the market has gone from in between 116 and 126. So even in the last 30 days it's made that 10 point move. This is like double the amount of time you're getting for that same um opinion that you're taking so so actually if it was earlier it would have been much more expensive to take that to take on that so that i guess the simplest way of putting it for that 10 point move to give you profitability it would have needed to be a 15 point move because what caused what cost 8 uh 45 today probably would have cost about 12 or 13 bucks when the vix was higher so now with a is that, okay 57 days. Okay, so you get 57 days. Is that specific to doing a back spread, or why? where does the 57 days come in? No, it's just the expiration cycles that we have. Like, in other oh, okay. words, the January expiration cycle will be three weeks from now, approximately three weeks from now, where the um, February one is 57 days. That ex- All the options expire. So you get to hold that call and put for 57 days in the hopes of something that happens. Now, if you really know how to trade, you don't just buy the put and call and sit there praying that something good happens. There's a million different things you can do. In fact, by the time those 57 days are over, you'd probably have a position that doesn't even remotely resemble that one you started with, but you've made money along the way. So, hmm. um, <laughs> Now, what kind of things, like current events, uh, let's uh, talk about this for a minute. Um, things... What makes people buy or sell? What you know, speculative activity. I mean, there's, uh, you know, we're in an election year, um, you know, coming up now. Uh, what types of things generally uh, should beginning traders uh, look at? Um, and what types of news stories should they follow? Um, I think you don't want to get too hung up on the news stories when you're an options trader. Um, you just kind of do what the market tells you to do. That's Sounds a little bit general, but that's true. Um, but uh, but it, it, here's a few instances. Um, let's say uh, earnings are coming up for a stock. Well, if earnings are coming up, there's a large degree of uncertainty, and it can move largely one way or another. So you in the um, so you could buy a straddle leading into that. The problem is the premium level is going to be much higher when there's uncertainty. So, But that, that that would be an event. Another one, if it's a pharmaceutical stock, if there's an FDA announcement coming out, whether the main product of that pharmaceutical stock, they coming out with a report that could be either good or bad, for could could be a death knell for the stock. 
or it could be, you know, could make the stock double in a couple of days. So those are the, the, just the major news events are what you're looking for in a stock. But earnings would be the simplest one. Other ones, industry-specific industry announcements. Those would be the things to look at. The other ones, it's really kind of tough to determine um, ahead of time to take a guess on what's happening in the marketplace, which is another good thing about trading options. You can actually learn how to trade without an opinion and still make money doing it. In fact, the overwhelming majority of people who made their careers with the CBOE, yes, and what was going on, they'd be like, I don't know, I'm just crunching the numbers. So that, uh, so it's it's not so much you're taking an opinion on things all the time. You, you're just kind of uh, checking out the different premium levels with the different options and how you can, you know, mix it all together and make a make something good out of it. Hmm. So. When you when you when you're teaching this at the Chicago School of Trading, um, what are some of the what are some of the examples in the way that you illustrate um, some of these concepts? Okay, um, an interest would be there's the the risk management tools that most option traders use are called the Greeks, and uh, Delta, Gamma, Theta, and Vega are the big ones. Even though Vega is not a Greek letter, somehow that got thrown in there. But uh, for example, uh, let's say we use the example of the Feb, uh, the money Feb 125s earlier, and that has a let me see what the yeah the delta on that is 53, which means that there's a 53% chance with the with the spiders at 125.27, there's a 53% chance that that will be an in the money option at expiration. So I think it was what do we say 57 days from now. So that's that's taking a calculation that 57 days from now that will be in the money. In other words, if you own one of those calls. In 57 days, it's likely that you would exercise it and then own the ETF or just close out of it. But it would it would be an in the money option. It would not be an option that went out that just uh, went out worthless. So, so you could purchase one of those and you could sell two of the Feb 132 calls, which has a 24.5% chance of finishing in the money. So the it, these are the percentage chance of finishing in the money. The other thing is. Options, all call options represent 100 shares of long stock. In other words, you exercise and you have long stock. All put options represent 100 shares of short stock. In other words, you exercise that put option, you'll be short stock. So it's uh, every so every time you own a call, you potentially own the underlying stock or the futures contract or the ETF of that. You potentially, even if it's something that's $20 of the money, you have that potential. And same with the put. If you own that put, you have the potential to be short that stock at some point. So let's say you bought, for instance, you bought that Feb 125 put for $4.05, and the market goes down to 100 Well, then you've, uh, you have uh, short the stock. At 125, and it's now at 120. You've made 25 less the premium you paid for it. So, um, but anyways, uh, one of the strategies: the 125. You buy the one one of those 125 calls, and you sell two of the 132 calls, and you're kind of neutral on what it is because you're selling two of the 24.5 percent chance for 49 percent chance. Still there, Dan? All right, we should uh, have Dan back in uh, a minute. Um, while we're waiting for Dan, uh, sounds like he had another call and had to uh, click and uh, take care of that. Um, maybe we lost him. But as we're uh, as we're holding here, I wanted to tell you uh, again about the upcoming uh, Get More Clients and Grow Your Practice series. Again, that is a series of webinars that Jim Thompson and I, uh, your host Nick Augustine, are going to be uh, training people on during uh, during these two-hour periods that are going to occur, again, 7 to 9 p.m. on every second uh, Wednesday of the month. Most of them will have CLE uh, options. We're uh, an applicant for CLE credit on many of these, but we're going to cover all the core concepts 
and basics that someone should uh, have if they are going to attempt to do a lot of marketing and public relations work and media relations on their own. Again, this is something that's good for small firms, um, small firms where there may be a staff member who can uh, jump in on some of the work and uh, people just want to know more about how they should approach some of these core concepts in public relations, marketing, and copywriting. And I'll suggest that um, you know, the practice of law you know, from all of our lawyer clients out there is so very different um, than uh, news and media people. It's, it's a whole different world. So um, very uh, exciting for a lot of folks. I know that when I was in law school, I never thought anything really about uh, public relations and media and, and news and uh, what really is news and makes news. And it's really a lot about telling telling your story and telling it to people and helping the media tell uh, local stories on a national level sometimes. It's very exciting. So, again, uh, look at our website, proservepr.com. There's a page, a training page on there with some more information. And um, I'm certainly available if anyone has a question, 312-505-2604. Again, 312-505-2604. Okay, we have Dan uh, Keegan back. We uh, lost right. to the technical difficulties uh, just for a second. Right, so I, the dreaded uh, technical difficulties. Uh, yes, I, well, it's fine because I ran through ran through that uh, webinar series again, and uh, I hope that it's a really exciting thing to teach people uh, new tricks, I suppose. Um, we've had a pretty good response to those who are interested in learning uh, some of the DIY of uh, marketing and PR because, you know, we realize that some people want to come to us for service and uh, be a provider, but other people can do a lot of this on, on their own, too. It's just uh, a it's just a balance of uh, billable hours and time and what resources of staff and, and whatnot you have. So, uh, All right, so Dan, we were talking about some illustrations on, um, um, well... Um, An example of a spread. We, yeah, we bought the one with a 53% chance. We sold two with a 24.5%. So basically, you put it together and, and you've canceled out the odds. So the odds. So there's a 53% chance of you long the stock, but you're selling two 24.5% changes chances of you being short the stock. Now, if something did happen where all of a sudden, you know, it was a huge movement overnight, it went up to 150 or something, which would never it would never be that big of a move for the spiders, but. Uh, Theoretically, you could wind up being short 100 shares of stock that way. But it, but the way you construct it is you, you, you long one call, you short two of them. And as it moves in that direction, you might become, in other words, the since you're short two of them, that percentage chance two of them together might increase more than what the percentage chance of the call that you were long. So then you could add another call to it to balance it out. And that's what I said basically earlier. When you start out with a position, it's if you know what you're doing, you're not going to wind up. You're not just going to slap on a position and wait 57 days and hope it works. Or if it doesn't work out, you at a predetermined point, just get out of it. You you change the nature of it. It's uh, That's what I tell everyone who goes through our program, that uh, 10% of your profit, is the initial position you establish. The other 90% is the adjustments you make. And it's really even greater than um, 90%. So, but, uh, yeah, so that's it. So it's uh, it's not, you don't have to be so concerned with putting on the per perfect position. You just have to be adept at knowing how to adjust it as it goes along. And it seems very complex initially. Once you understand, like you said earlier, the terminology and everything like that, it becomes simple because it all kind of falls into line. Yeah, so. you know, it reminds me of um, Great America. It reminds me of uh, like the shockwave at Six Flags, like that ride. Um, you know, twist turns up and down, and uh, not no. And then I think of riding the American Eagle backwards and not being able to, and not knowing what's coming. Uh, so I, I, don't, I like roller coaster analogies when I think of um, finances and trading and options and everything. <laughs> it helps me. Which which is very adept because you don't know what's coming really. Yeah, you, know, right, you right. don't, and you just have to. It's kind of like. Uh, if you're sitting down and playing cards, you play with the hand you're dealt. You know what right. I mean? And then you, you know, try to get a better hand, you know, what to drop and everything. But uh, that's kind of uh, kind of the attitude you have to take. It's not going to be like, boy, this is going to, this is a really good one. I know it's going to work. And that type of attitude doesn't result in profits normally. 
Well, and the thing that, um, and I'll draw, I like drawing the analogies between law and finance because um, it's interesting how uh, there's so many similarities between two industries that people often find completely opposite. But I'll say this, that it's it's similar to being in litigation. You take your client as they present and you're not sure really what the other side has until you start doing discovery. And you can um, try to uh, make your position uh, based on what you think someone's going to do. But I've seen a lot of people spend a lot of time based on assumptions that they thought someone else was going to, you know, they thought they thought they knew the other person's strategy and game plan, and uh, um, it's like a game of poker, and they they fell short sometimes. So it's uh, you know you just have to you know know work with what you have, and uh, you know stick with the facts. So um, moving forward, let's talk a little bit about uh, some expectations and outlooks um, for 2012 and options trading. Um, I would uh, I would think. Um we're obviously going to start the year with a little lower volatility than we've had recently. I think probably at some point during the year, though, we will have different breaks. I mean, it's just all these things that are – it kind of reminds me, the, like the European situation, kind of reminds me of Bear Stearns in 2007 when, uh, you know, it sunk down to 2 bucks overnight and, you know, there was major panic and then the Fed injected a ton of liquidity in the system and everybody – all was good in the world, and all these firms that were kept doing these crazy loans were felt even more comfortable doing more. Well, it seems like what they're doing with Europe, nothing really has changed. They've just kind of swept the situation under the rug, and then a year later, something could. So I, I would not be surprised if there was just a, another major upheaval in 2012, which uh, options are kind of designed for those types of situations. So, yeah, we'll... I think probably, you know, and it could also be since uh, the PEs for stocks are about half of what they were 10 years ago, there's obviously a lot of room upward growth, too. So it could be either big up or big down. So. You know, another thing that I think about, um, I saw um, SFO Magazine uh, shared a, a story uh, about asking people on predictions on on whether we're going to see QE3 um, in in 2012, and my personal again, I am by no means someone you should listen to, to um, on this, but I I, th- I say we sit tight and let's see what happens. Um, you know, watching watching things unfold in Europe has uh, uh, been interesting. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think well, like in regards to QE3, it's. Uh... I think it was, I can't remember, a couple of weeks ago, when they kind of, the Fed kind of said they're going to sit tight and they're not going to do anything. And immediately the market sold off. But then it wound up going up high. I think, generally speaking, if we saw interest rates, if we saw the Fed stop injecting liquidity and even start raising interest rates, that would be incredibly bullish for the market. You know, because I think it just means that uh, we're not in that kind of quasi-depression that we have been in. So they you know, don't need to keep pumping more money into it, that there's actually some velocity of money. So the existing base of money out there is changing hands more quickly. So the money supply is growing that way, other than just dumping fresh money in. So I think if if you see that, if you see where Fed is starting to raise interest rates, then you could have a real rally on your hand. So as opposed to other situations where there's been big inflation and they had huge interest rates just to combat that it's kind of a deflationary environment you know and then as the interest rates went down there was a big rally i think in this case if you see interest rates going up it could be a big rally in the marketplace so it remains to be seen we will watch uh we'll watch news and watch things um with uh do you have any comments on um the recent news what's uh of everything with um with greece and uh the euro the eurozone um like I said, I don't think to me it doesn't look like and nobody's ever explained it to me where anything's really been done. I mean, it doesn't seem like any real reforms have been carried out there. You know, so unless that have unless something fundamental happens, it's kind of like they're just slowly pulling the band-aid off instead of ripping it off and allowing growth to resume, you know. So, I think I think that's another thing that uh could really happen in 2012. That's the that's the lurk. I, I said the positive thing where if interest rates start rising again and you could see a big rally because the P&E is, are, seem to be almost artificially depressed, that's the upside. But I think 
part of the reason why they're depressed because there is a lot of you know just horrific macroeconomic news out there. So, which is kind of why the implied volatility in the options has been a little bit higher than it normally has been. So, yeah. and that goes for domestically as well. I mean, we haven't really resolved any of the entitlement issues here as well. So, so it could so, be. I mean, it's it it bodes well for volatility in 2012. I think. So based on that, then what are you telling? Uh, based on some of those predictions and thoughts, what are you telling uh, your students? Um, to basically not take an opinion either way <laughs> and just construct positions like the one I said before and just as things happen, it doesn't mean as things start to unfold, you still have blinders on and I'm not taking an opinion. You kind of can roll with the flow and adjust your position that way versus, you know, nothing has really happened yet. I've got an, I have a real feeling this is what's going to happen. You set up a position which you can pivot off of versus, taking a big opinion ahead of time, if that makes sense. So It does, it does. Um, mm-hmm. We have about 10 minutes left. What uh, are some other things that you would like to talk about? Um, I just think it's uh, options in general, like people think when they say, like, well, should that be 10% of my portfolio or 20%? It's kind of like, well, how many cars do you have at home? Do you have two or three? And if you do, do you insure all three of them or you just insure one of them or two of them or three of them? You know, so um, I just think options should be an integral part of everybody's portfolio. And if they're not, that you know, they should be because, you know, I mean, if there is another black swan event and, you know, you, you work hard at your job to, you know, accumulate all these savings, and there's even uh, things you can do to, it's a little little late for that, but to ensure the value of your home. There are puts on a housing index. For instance, the HGX was trading at about uh, 250 prior to the financial meltdown. And it's about 100 now. It actually was about 75 at its lowest point, not too far after being at 250. So in other words, you could have bought puts on your home when it looked like there was a bubble, when you heard people saying there's a bubble, you could have bought 230 puts. Value of your home could have collapsed, but the puts could have made more money than the loss of your home. So, I mean, people in the know, like uh, Southwest Airlines was the first airline to use options. to They bought call options on the price of oil. And as oil went from 30 to 100, they were they effectively owned oil at 35. So it's it's... What I'm saying is it's beneficial to everybody to know how to trade options, no matter what it is. And it's not a it's not like a uh portion of your investment. It's kinda of be it should be the core of it to learn how to blend that in with what you have. So now a few two more two questions off of that. Um first the student loan bubble. Um that's you know something that a lot of people are stirring about. Um and uh and secondly, if you are uh, let's say you're a professional with uh, significant uh, significant assets in a portfolio. Uh, maybe you're managing part of it. Maybe part of it's managed for you, and you want to uh, add options in uh, to your strategy. Uh, what are what should you do? Um, but first, uh, student loan bubble. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like the type of thing that is going to burst immediately anyways but it's without a doubt it's something that uh yeah it, it just seems like uh the availability of these student loans is kind of jacking up artificially the price levels of tuition because you know if you in other words if you enter the student loan program tomorrow tuition expenses at colleges would probably be two-thirds as great as they are now so it's artificially high people are going through and when they get out in the workplace, are they going to be able to service the debt on these loans? Right now, it doesn't look too promising. So it's probably going to be a bubble. I don't. I'm not aware of any. That's a good question. I, I'll have to look at that. But I'm not aware of an ETF or an index that measures student loan. Might be a good idea to start one. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, no doubt that at some point that's the bubble that's going to burst because it's. It's not a market-based environment. So, 
starting an index. Not, what's that? Uh, starting an index. I like that idea. You know, sometimes we jump out the. Uh, what, uh, if there isn't an, if shouldn't if you'd think that there'd be an index out there on uh, on that, and if there is not, how do you just start one? How do you start an index? Yeah. Um, I think you probably have to go to one of the exchanges and have them sponsor it. You know, like the SPX is sponsored by the CBOE. Uh, the HGX is sponsored by the Philadelphia. Stock Exchange, which I'm not sure uh, initially was. I'm not sure if that's been bought out by NASDAQ or one of the others. But uh, yeah, so the, the indices themselves are are um, started by different exchanges. The but the ETFs is a different matter. That's uh, that's another process to go through. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's certainly an industry, interesting one to do. I don't know how you'd uh, what you'd base it on. I know the housing. Philadelphia Housing Index is based on a bunch of different stocks that have to do with the home construction industry. And obviously, if that dries up, the prices of the houses are going to drop. So it would probably be something to do with the banks with the biggest exposure to student loans, but then they would have also other exposures. So I don't know. You have to figure out a way to cut it off to do that. But it certainly it would be a great instrument to trade. Well, and the interesting thing that I find is the crossover between uh, different industries and, um, you know, many people are working collaboratively, uh, taking you know, a little bit of, you know, knowledge of one sector and applying it to something else. And you can start digging into some of these, some of these niches. So if you're someone in a career transition period um, and you come from, you know, uh, education, you know, you come out of the, you know, that type of thing or, or healthcare consulting or, or whatnot, there can be some uh, serious areas where you have a leg up on other people if you want to go into finance and, and options. Um, and certainly, you know, as, as Dan has uh, talked to, to us about before, um, he sees a whole wide variety of people at the Chicago School of Trading. So um, I think that the fear is just something that people have to get over. And this stuff is, you either, I think you either like it and it's fascinating or or you're just not interested in it but i think more the more you know um the deeper you can dig and before you know it um before you know it you've got some real knowledge that you can leverage and make some money absolutely absolutely and it's funny that you said that about people that have the know it's uh i mentioned dendry on that stock earlier with the uh pharmaceutical we have a one of our students is a pharmaceutical salesman and for the ones who go through the individual portion of our program, we have weekly meetings with the veteran people. Once they're done with the the individual mentoring, we have weekly group sessions. But he um, brought Dendrion to my attention, and it was at a time when there's really nothing going on, else going on in the market. And because of that, it was like, oh, great, I've got something to trade, and it was a terrific trader. So just knowing, you know, he happened to know about it because he was in that sector. So, and it was... It was a great trader for a while. Now it's, it, I think it went from 50 to 8 one day, and it's been kind of stuck in that range since. So it, the, the <laughs> FDA announcement didn't go too well for it, ultimately. Huh. Yeah. So. Um, and, and now back to my, my original uh, part of the question. If you don't, if you're someone who has a, a decent portfolio out there and uh, you want to add options or you want to learn, maybe you just want to have a discussion with uh, the professional who's managing your money about options, um, what are some tips and thoughts? Um, I think you just have to ask them, um, what are you doing? Are you long only? And then just ask them, is it true or is it not true? And, of course, the answer is true. But you just say, is it true that in the last 13 years, if you were long only, your growth in your portfolio would be a total flat line? You know, is yet there's been these huge moves up and down. Is there anything we could do that you could have me invested in that would – you know, harvest some of that volatility. You know, are you selling options on some of my, you know, long stock portfolio? Are you um, are you collaring some of my stocks that have gone real high? In other words, that's where you buy a put lower than where it's currently trading and selling a call above to help subsidize that. In other words, it's made an, a huge move. It looks like it may go a little bit higher, but it also might be bubbly. You slap on that uh, that collar. Ask them if if they know how to do the collars. 
And if so, which one of my stocks would be a candidate for a collar? Those are just some of the questions you might want to ask them. Or, or is it, do you have any VIX strategies that you could employ that would help um, hedge my overall portfolio? So, and, and it, go ahead. Go ahead. I just suggest that if you are knowledgeable about what another professional is doing for you and can engage in a, a good conversation with that person, I think there's a, a, a more level. It's a happier relationship, and I think that your professional will be uh, happier working with you when uh, both parties have a better idea of what they're doing, and there's transparency. Absolutely, without a doubt. And it's just going to be – it'll be better for both parties. I mean, if if you know the right questions to ask, and they can, you know, and they might not know how to do it, but they can, you could work with them to get them up to that level or whatever. Yeah. You know? So, it, but in the event, it's it's your money, and you don't want to lose it, you know. So That's right. That's right. It is our money. <laughs> we worked hard for it. And I know too many people, um, you know, I, I re, again, I can remember my brother coming home from school. He was in eighth grade and was talking about, oh, did you see the doubt today? Have you talked to dad? Is dad upset? And <laughs> I'm thinking, you're, you know, you're, you're, what, he was like eight or something, you know, not eighth grade. I'm sorry. He was like eight years old. and But it was still like knew all this. And I think a lot of people um, will just – you know, right, follow what's what they see on TV and, um, you know, freak out <laughs> without really knowing um, more about it. So I really, again, think that there's so many great resources out there um, and that you don't have to have gone to the fanciest business school in the world right out of the gate in order to navigate the world of finance. That's right, and even a lot of them don't necessarily have all that much knowledge either in, in terms of uh... – using derivatives to hedge their portfolios. So, right, right. You know, so it's just uh, you want to look at the how you can apply what you have to help right. yourself out the best. Tell us a little bit. We're going to uh, wrap up here, and I look forward to having you back, Dan, um, in um, in a couple months. We'll uh, see where things at and uh, continue our, our dialogue. Um, if you want to just briefly give us a, a quick-minute rundown on the Chicago School of Trading and how someone can get in touch with you for more information. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you can call us uh, at uh, just call us at three one two two four two eighteen fifty eight, or you can just uh, mail me. If you have a question for me, you can mail me at dan at the the Chicago School of Trading. It's one of the longest uh, um, named websites there is, but it's the Chicago School of Trading. All those words, string them together. And just Dan at the Chicago School of Trading. You can uh, just visit our webpage, www.thechicagoschooloftrading.com. And our, for those of you who are outside the area, our toll-free number is 877-493-6877. So we have a lot of stuff on our website, too, that, uh, you know, a lot of articles I wrote for Future, Futures Magazine and Active Trader Magazine that you uh, might want to take a look at. So, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, we'd be happy to talk to you too if you're interested in becoming a student of ours. Like I said, it's a it's a wide uh, swath from everywhere. So uh, we're uh, willing to take on, listen to you, see if, if, if we're a good fit for you. So. All right, Dan. I want to thank you again for your valuable time and uh, sharing more of your information with us today. Okay, Nick, thanks a lot. Uh, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, everything. Happy oh, everything. Happy so. all of it. <laughs> right. Assuming that mm-hmm. you like to be happy on a holiday. So, um, right. Again, right. <laughs> I, I say a little bit to everyone. I'm Irish Catholic, but, you know, I just uh, happy whatever you celebrate. So I, I, I concur. Um, again, I want to remind people about the upcoming webinar for lawyers and finance people who want to learn how to get more clients and grow your practice. You can find uh, more information at ProServe PR. The um, PR training page is where that is. Again, those are two-hour webinars that are going to take place uh, every month on third Wednesdays uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. I want to uh, also thank all of our listeners out there who uh, take the time to listen to our programming and to share those show links in your social networks. Uh, Many people do find our shows on other people's Twitter feeds, 
Facebook uh, pages and uh, LinkedIn groups. So please uh, do your part and show your programming. Also, if you have a suggestion for programming or a guest, do be in touch with us. Again, you can uh, get in touch with me, Nick uh, Augustine. My telephone number directly is 312-505-2604. Email N-I-C-K, Nick, at ProServePR. That's ProServe, P-R-O-S-E-R-V-E-P-R.com. Also, uh, the Money Talk Radio podcast, fan page on Facebook, and our Law Talk Radio page is also on Facebook. So I, I want to wish everyone, again, the best uh, of uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Season Greetings, and uh, all the rest of it. And uh, we will uh, see you next week. And again, thanks to Dan Keegan from the Chicago School of Trading. Again, this is Nick Augustine from uh, Money Talk Radio, and I thank you all for your time. Uh-